everybody. Welcome back to From Complex to Queens, Amazing Avenue's minor league podcast. I'm Steve Saipa, and I'm joined by Lucas, Ken, and Thomas. How is everyone doing this week? All right. Yeah, pretty good. Quarantine person can. That's true. I feel like I am the only person in the world actually enjoying this. <laughs> I thought I'd like it. I mean, when you say, like, hey, you can just stay at home for a while and get paid, I was like, that sounds sweet. And the novelty kind of ran off, like, maybe week two. No, oh, dude, this, this is this is my freaking dream life. Like, I don't have to talk to anyone in person. <laughs> I get to wake up at noon and no one, or stay up till five in the morning and no one cares. It's great. It's great. It's it's more like the the option of going outside was the nicest part. Sure. It's that I, I would do this by choice, but it feels less cool because it's not by choice. <laughs> it's like a, well, it's like your cat asking you to open the door. It's like, well, now the door's open. Now you open it. I don't want to go outside. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just wanted it open. Yeah, screw you. <laughs> Speaking of cats, has Pepito been going out? Yeah. I hope not. Uh. It was his birthday recently too. Oh, that's good. Pepito can handle himself. <laughs> I would hope so. After all this time. <laughs> all right. Well, speaking of being quarantined, I um, I was reading that a bunch of TV shows are basically going to be having abbreviated seasons because of all the stuff going on with coronavirus. And starting this week, more or less, a bunch of shows are going to start to shift to their finales. So I was looking at a, a list of 50 best season finales, according to whoever. BuzzFeed, maybe. I don't know. But I picked these three kind of at random. Uh, I was cheating a little bit. But of these season finales, which ones are we going to... What are we going to promote? What are we going to extend? And what are we going to trade? From the list of the Sopranos season finale. Oh, excuse me. The series finale. Okay, that makes more sense. Yeah. Futurama series finale. Which one? The the last to the actual the 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 not not the Fox cancellation the comedy no Central comedy Central okay okay yep. and the Roseanne series finale wasn't I her mean, wasn't the series finale for that her tweeting something racist while on Ambien and then the show getting canceled technically <laughs> I'm told the original like... <laughs> the original airing wasn't the it, original series it's, oh, it's okay. something goofy like. It was like, she, like it was a novel or something, and she yeah. won the lottery. It was something really strange. Like they went in a totally weird direction for a show that was like kind of grounded the whole time. Yep. Weird. Yeah, it really was. I don't know the reason why, but yeah, it's the, the last season was basically Roseanne and her family won the lotto, so they went from being blue collar workers that are you know, down on the luck a lot to flying on private jets with princes and and all kinds of wacky stuff. And then in the last scene, basically Roseanne said that it was all a lie. It was all just part of like a book that she was writing and that they were even more worse on their luck because Dan, the the, the John Goodman character, the father, he died. And, you know, that was their main source of income. That's so weird. What? Yeah. Yeah, it's I'd, really straight. 
I don't know why they went completely off the wall in the, in the last season. So I, I also need to say something that I'm sure will earn me ridicule, given that I am born in New York and grew up in New Jersey. You never saw The Sopranos, did never you? Never saw The Sopranos. Never <sighs> Lucas, the Sopranos. I'm actually in the same boat, so. Yeah. I, I, have a really good. I have a friend who just watched it in quarantine and said it was very good, and I just have no interest in it. It's just not my kind of show. Uh, well, I'm also the person who thinks that Breaking Bad is super overrated, so. I, can't I can agree with that. Um, anyway, there's only one correct answer here. Like, the Futurama series finale is perfect, as were the first two series finales when they got canceled the first two times. Like, Futurama is as close to a perfect comedy show as I think exists. So, uh, I am extending that one. And, I don't know. Promote the Sopranos one, because it made people angry, and I found that amusing. <laughs> and then Roseanne is kind of an asshole anyway, so trade it. Yeah, you got to trade the Roseanne finale because it's absurd. <laughs> I don't I, know if I've seen any of these three, so <laughs> Ken, I guess what are I'm you doing agree. with your life? I never watched the um, the the new Futurama episodes. Um, Roseanne right, well, well, was let, never my fig. <laughs> let's back up then. Did you see the first series finale, like the opera episode? Where I think so. Where where Fry like. Uh, trades uh, somehow Devil gets hands. the devil's hands and then oh, right, yeah. it's a holophone with or the, um, oh, that's episode so good. with the devil went down to Georgia right <laughs> yeah but like that that kind of stick uh, uh, no uh, where they have the, the fiddle contest at the end no that's a different episode with the robot devil I think that's in season 2 when that's when Bender finds uh, robot religion and yeah. then immediately that's a great episode and then Leela tries to play the golden fiddle and just beats the devil over the head <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I have an almost God damn, like show is good. <laughs> uh, knowledge of Futurama, which is useless, unfortunately. Um, Futurama's great. You should watch Futurama. It's really good. It is. They really did nail like finales too, because you they got multiple shots at it. And yep. They did it right every time. I mean, the I the first one might honestly be my favorite. Like everyone leaving the opera hall when he loses the devil's hands, and Leela sitting back for him to just play the simple final melody is just—it's like perfect. It's it's so perfect. Yeah, it really is. Everything about Futurama kind of is perfect, except fucking Jurassic Bark. <laughs> well, I mean, they they knew what they were setting out to accomplish, and they succeeded. We do. I never rewatched Jurassic Park. No. There, there are some things that I just will not do. I will not watch, like we talked about a few weeks ago. I will not watch Land Before Time, <laughs> and I will not watch Jurassic Park. I never I watched Land Before Time, but you're talking about Littlefoot's mother dying, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I've seen, I've seen the memes. I have acquired the knowledge through the memes. <laughs> it is traumatic. All right. Um, so I wanted to start out this week by just highlighting um, all the good that Jeremy Wolf and the Modern Baseball Foundation has been doing over the last month or so. Major League Baseball pledged to continue paying their players through spring training, and now they extended that a little bit since obviously this is going to continue past. Well, this did continue past when spring training ended, but. That $400 a week that they're giving players is still completely inadequate, and there's a lot of loopholes that players are basically getting gypped out of having any compensation. 
the biggest one being that anyone staying at the team complexes for whatever reason aren't eligible. And the majority of, you know, young foreign rookies who were not able to go back home are the ones that are staying at the complexes. And those are the ones that probably need the money the most since they're younger individuals in a country that's brand new to them. But in my interview with him a couple of weeks ago, I wanted to ask Jeremy something, but I ended up scrapping it, the question, because A, I couldn't think of a good way to word it, and B, I didn't want to accidentally badmouth anyone or cause any problems. But I wanted to ask him why he thought majority of the players kind of forget about their peers and friends and the minors once they make it. You hear a lot of times about all those quotes that major league players give, you know, gives players you know the struggle in the minors gives players an incentive to Kyle try harder it. and make it calm down there out of eaton yeah <laughs> That's what it was. I, I was trying to think of who said it but i remember there was one specific person who was like it's actually good yeah that is- i mean <laughs> obviously we don't know what goes on behind the scenes but in public you know very rare do you hear major leaguers advocating for the guys in the minors or very rare do you hear them you know, helping guys out and stuff like that. Um, and obviously, it's unfortunate that owners still won't play. They they still won't pick up that super low hanging PR fruit and do more than the bare minimum to take care of their employees. But given all the stuff that's going on now, we're hearing some pretty nice stories about big leaguers taking the time to help out. You know, minor leaguers, biggest story i guess are um shinshu chu he he's basically independently donating a thousand dollars to all the minor leaguers in the rangers system because he remembers how tough it was to play in the minor leagues and basically having having to you know allocate the the couple of dollars that he was given for food or diapers you know kind of two necessities and having to strategically pick and choose when he ate so that his kid, his kid could have diapers. I mean, a shitty situation to find yourself in. And then Adam Was Wainwright. Was that a pun, Steve? No, it actually wasn't. But <laughs> uh, Adam Wainwright donated $250,000 uh, to more than baseball. Daniel Murphy donated 100000 Um and then on top of that, you have all the donations that people have been making independently over the last couple of months. And it's good that, you know, these guys aren't being forgotten about. It shouldn't have to come to random strangers taking care of them. No. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, that's that's America, I guess, where you got to have GoFundMes to deal to raise the money to treat your very you know treatable cancer but it's also like it's crazy that like yes these players are millionaires like a lot of them are and they like shinshu chu could do this and it's not like a crazy amount of money to him but also why is it his responsibility when the texas rangers are like a billion dollar corporate you know what i mean like it's like yeah like the millionaires are are doing the right thing, and that's good. But also, there's people who have even more money who could be doing even more. 
it's it's like so that's like an order of magnitude and yeah. two in some cases like chew got a how much does the rangers pay him like 140 million so like yeah, i believe yeah he's yeah, in the like nine digits but i don't think murphy's broken nine digits or like so it's somewhere between one and three orders of magnitude less wealthy than the owners so why the hell are the players having to do this yeah and it's like that in other sports too. Like you see a lot of basketball players are donating to the to the arenas to help pay for the uh, workers and stuff like that. And it's like, well, there's owners who could be doing that as well. Freaking Joel Embiid was donating to the Sixers workers while Josh Harris, who owns the team, was like, yeah, we're gonna fire all of them. Yeah, so exactly. Are you kidding me? <laughs> exactly. Al uh, Ronaldo, uh, I don't know anything about his. Whether the, his team did anything, I don't even know what team he plays for, but he donated to some of the workers, I believe. It's just, I don't really, I don't know. I, I talk about this with my sister when we talk about politics and things. I and, and human nature, I just don't really understand. Like, you are so rich that it's a pittance. And yeah. and the the money that you're spending would buy you better PR, which is ultimately more valuable than your couple of million dollars, which you're gonna make back in a year, you know, or or probably even less. Like I don't know. Are these super rich and wealthy people so insulated from the world that just the basic morals and and everything that we have doesn't apply to them? Like I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's it's also just, like, yeah, I don't know. It, it always leaves me, like, speechless a little bit when, when you think about it because, like, you think about the Bruins owner who is, like, one of the richest people in the world, and he's, like, being annoying about trying to pay, pay his workers and stuff, and it's, like, why be like that? Like, I don't even understand, like, the point of hoarding your money to, to that degree. Like, it just doesn't mm-hmm. make any sense. It just it it is literally a mindset that I is just completely foreign that I just cannot understand and yeah. I don't know. Well, I see I've seen some people like raise the point that lots of these billionaires don't have as much liquid as many liquid assets as you would assume right because oh I own a three billion dollar franchise but that doesn't mean I have three billion dollars in cash on hand but at the same time you have this giant. Uh, 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 asset to fall back on, like you can get borrow against it mm-hmm, and, and yeah. pay it back, and like it's it's very easy to still let if you don't have to start selling your team, you can borrow against it and then pay back later. It's not not exactly rocket science. And like the team isn't gonna disintegrate because no. this happens. Like there's going to be sports. You're not even gonna lose ownership. Like you're not yeah. gonna lose anything. Like no. you're just gonna say uh, I own a five billion dollar team. I want to borrow a ton of money to give to people and i'll pay you back because i own a five billion dollar team <laughs> oh yeah exactly that prints money i just don't see how their pr people don't say to them this is better for you like i yeah. i'm just a, i'm just a nobody i have no education in pr i have no education in anything relevant to the field of, of any kind of business but i mean when you see things on twitter like this guy donated a small amount of money relative to their total net worth. You know, Shin Chu Chu donated everyone a thousand dollars, and it's going to come out to a hundred thousand dollars, let's say, whatever. Like everyone's like, "Wow, awesome! That's great, Shin Chu Chu, awesome." Uh, a minor league, uh, a major league ball club can do that 
and get that same amount of positive feedback and that that the sum just means less to them than it does to the sum that Shin Chu Chu is being giving to, to I, these players. Was it the I, just before I know since we mentioned the Rangers, didn't they all the all their execs took big pay cuts, I believe, in the short term. Or maybe that was another team. I'll look real quick. So we should at least give them credit for that if that if that's true. But all right, good. So they're not making money while the rest of their employees right. won't be either. Like Yeah, the the execs took a temporary pay cut. So I mean good on them. It's right. Something. It's like that's the thing. They could then they can literally do the bare minimum mm-hmm. and get praised for doing the bare minimum. And yep. they're barely even doing that. It's yep. just such a crazy worldview to have. I don't know. But wherever the money is coming from, it's good that uh, a lot of these guys are being taken care of. So that's good. Yeah, I mean, good on Shin Chu Chu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, even Daniel Murphy, who, uh, I mean, historically has had some pretty shitty <laughs> opinions about things. But, like... Yeah. We can recognize that people have bad opinions and also do good things at the same time. So, like, mm-hmm. thanks, Daniel Murphy. Yep. All right. Um, so we'll shift things a little bit now. And a few months, we got an email. and A few months ago, I should say, we got an email. And it went straight to spam for whatever reason. And I didn't notice it. But our email has been getting bombarded by spam lately. So I was emptying it. And I found this errant email. Um, it is from Richard in Medellin, Colombia. And I'm just kind of cutting and pasting it here. But basically, the meat of his email is that, quote, I believe in math, so I take the analytics seriously, though not as my end all, because having watched baseball for 45 or so years, I also believe in things like heart, desire, and the will to win. The truth, I don't doubt you know a lot about baseball, but all you do is talk about measurables and mechanics. What is about what about the rest? Who is this guy and what are his intangibles? Why and how was he successful or unsuccessful? These are people and their non-measurables matter. I know it's not the case with your group, but it gives me the impression that you don't bother to actually watch games. You just review the numbers afterwards, end quote. So this is a good segue to talk about high school baseball and college baseball and why we say the numbers don't really matter. And obviously I'll preface that by saying that you want a player to do better. You want a player to put up better numbers rather than bad ones. But in the end, evaluators and scouts are looking at and they're looking for skills rather than results. Results being the things that happen and then skills being things that cause the results and can be, you know, replicated in the future. And <laughs> for the for the record, we we do watch games and my LB TV is very reasonable. You get plenty of uh, games over the course of the summer for I think forty nine dollars for the entire season. Yeah. Which okay. is it's a bargain really. And then you get everything archived. So we do watch the games, but that is neither here nor there. <laughs> but, um, you know, when it comes to high school baseball and the numbers, 
you see a lot of variants because the literal field has a lot of, you know, talent variants. There are places like private baseball academies, like um, IMG Academy. Um, I think Puerto Rico's is the Carlos Beltran Academy. I don't know if that's the name or, you know, it, it's run by him. But, you know, there there are prep schools that have reputations when it comes to player development and parents send their kids to these schools so that they could develop their baseball skills specifically. But by and large, you know, you attend the school that you're zoned for. And if a school is going to have a baseball team, the coach picks the 25 or whatever the number is in high school baseball. He picks those kids that are the best. And in some cases you have kids that might not actually be particularly good but that's all he's got. Um, that's where you see places that have warm weather have a comparative advantage over cold weather states. Because, you know, California, the Southwest, and the South, they could play year-round. And coaches are able to pick kids that are always playing and are, you know, more refined. As opposed to colder Midwest states, New England over here, you know, where you can't play when it's freezing out. I mean, Trout probably fell because of that, being in Jersey. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And also, like, the level of competition is worse. Yes. I mean, basically, I tried out for baseball in high school, and I never really pursued it much because my academic stuff, I was in marching band. Yeah, I was looking at track, too, at the time. Like, I didn't really have the time. But for the couple of weeks involved, that the, the couple of weeks that I was involved, I was, like, the practice bench warmer person on the second string team. And I still don't have any real baseball skill, but I had even less then. <laughs> and, you know, if, if I didn't belong anywhere near an actual team, but the fact that I was able to get onto even being on like a practice squad as a bench warmer guy is, is, you know, telling because that's what the coach had to work for, work with. Yeah, I get you. You know, in, in some high school super baseball academy at the IMG Academy, they would have left me out of the building. And in theory, there's some school out there in like middle of nowhere, Montana, where maybe that me would have been the best player, which is really scary, I guess. I mean, wasn't it when Nimmo was getting Nimmo in, didn't have a high school, baseball, didn't team. Have a high school baseball team? Yeah. Yeah. Nope. So like... <laughs> Yeah, he, like, built a, a batting cage in his barn, if I remember. That was, like, the anecdote yeah. I remember. He played a lot of uh, American Legion ball. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Right. he played travel ball because he literally didn't have another option to play. So Wait, What pick was he? Let's go look at that draft real quick. That was 2012? I want to say 11. Uh, 2012 MLB draft. You, 2011 he was. You are right. Oh, okay. It was 2011. 2012 was Gavin Peach. Yeah, that didn't work out so well, did it? No. Uh, not great. <sighs> Honestly, actually, I'm not sure how much higher he would have gone. There are a lot of good players taken in front of him. That year it went Cole, yeah, Holtzen, who blew out his shoulder, Bauer, Bundy, oh, Bubba Starling. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. He was big at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was. Anthony Rendon, Archie Bradley, Lindor, Baez, Spangenberg, oof. Court George Springer, Taylor Youngman, and then Brandon Nimmo. So who knows? Like maybe he would have been considered up there with Starling had had there been more data, right? Like, yeah, I, I I definitely was not as tuned in at the time, so I don't remember what the narrative is. But 
I think it's probably fair to say his stock was a bit lower because he just didn't play. Mm-hmm. Understandably so. Like Yeah, absolutely. Like it's legitimately risky what the Mets did to like put in a one a first over a first round pick on a dude who like played travel ball as his most competitive competition. Mm-hmm. It's really trusting your scouting, which is watching the games and and seeing him in these in showcases and his games that he was playing to really be like he would be good anywhere he just happens to be in Wyoming yeah Nemo is a very good example of that is that the numbers don't matter because they literally were not numbers <laughs> and like I'm sure like if there was high school baseball in Wyoming he would have hit 800 because oh yeah like his all and- base percentage would have been like <laughs> infinite <laughs> He would have never gotten out. It would, it would, yeah. He might have gotten like out once every four games because he lined out to the center fielder and the center fielder. Isn't the altitude also very high in Wyoming? Uh, probably. I don't know. Altitude. (laughs) Sixty-seven hundred feet, so it's a mile high. Yeah, it's pretty high. There you go. Yeah, so Brandon Nimmo would have OPS like three thousand or something. It would have yeah, been true. disgusting. He, he might have been the first overall pick. <laughs> like, he would have either ignored yeah. all the garbage outside the zone because high school pitchers can't throw strikes or just launch the garbage that actually was in the zone 3,000 feet. <laughs> Why not both? <laughs> right, it's one or the other. You're going to throw me a strike and I'm going to hit it to the moon or I'm just not going to swing at anything else because I have the, like a, a 99th percentile eye at the plate. It's really, it's actually good that they don't have high school baseball for him. <laughs> yeah, for real. That's that's a new market in inefficiency is drafting guys who don't have high school baseball. Yeah. I I'll mean, right it seems that. like it worked with Jared Kelnick. That's true. <laughs> that's true, too. A guy with no high school baseball experience and immediately became, you know, what is he, like a top 20 prospect in baseball? Yep. Higher, I think yeah. Probably. Like probably, yeah. That's like being conservative. I, I do have a, a counter argument here, however, which should surprise no one since I'm the stat junkie here. Um, I I mean, I, I can't really argue with the idea that the numbers we have in high school and college are pretty close to useless, if not totally useless. I still, still think you can glean some things, at least from college numbers, um, though, though not, not a ton. I think the bigger problem is that we're just not measuring uh, uh the correct things right like we're, we're measuring raw stats in environments with wildly varying ballparks altitudes and most importantly uh, level of competition right so uh, i i think if we if we actually measured some of the right things we could use stats to evaluate these players more accurately and um I think Statcast is, or some. I mean, Statcast is definitely flawed, and people misuse it. Like that's that's definitely true. But I think it's also exciting to a lot of people because it's uh, a, a step in the direction of getting at the actual um, fundamental aspects of a baseball player, right? Like, you, you put it another way, we're if you're if you're counting average or OPS or or, or what have you, you're kind of looking at the atoms of a baseball player. But if you were instead evaluating things like, okay, how fast is your bat actually moving? What sort of hand-eye coordination do you have? Uh, how good is your vision, just in a raw sense? 
then you're getting at sort of the fundamental particles of being a baseball player, to use a physics analogy here, right? You're asking uh, what underlying physical skills are, are essential to being good and how good are you at them, rather than saying, oh, well, you hit 800 off some high school pitcher, so you're good. Yep, that is... So that you're, exactly you're basically it. talking about quantifying scouting. Yeah, and I think I, I, I think that it's something that the technology exists to do, perhaps and and perhaps not in an optimum state. Like it would obviously need refinement, but I'm fairly confident that if you if some team invested uh, uh, the R and D money, uh, both in terms of the te- developing the technology and hiring the right, uh, uh, I mean, you essentially need medical experts at that point or biomechanical experts, vision experts. Uh, I'm pretty sure you could pull off a system that does this, like understand the neurology of a good baseball player, understand the raw physical skills of a good baseball player. Um, now, some of the other intangible stuff like work ethic still matters, but ultimately that that always just seems to be an excuse to say someone who's hitting 250 in double A on their third time <laughs> around is, is good. Yeah, right. it's that stuff matters, but I feel like it matters I don't want to basically it only less, matters if it matters. Yeah. Like it matters because like having a good clubhouse is better than having a bad one, but also 25 assholes who are as good as Mike Trout will be the best team in the league. <laughs> you know, like, like if it's they all, asshole. It's our so asshole. Where if, I if like they all to hate each of... other, it doesn't matter because it just, it depends on how good you are at that point. Like I, I think intangibles and, and things like that matter more about maximizing talent. Um, For example, like Nimmo is actually a good example of that, where like, you know, he doesn't really have all that much power um, relative to what you'd think, but it plays up a lot because he's so selective and he gets on base so much because he's got a very, very good approach to the game and, um, you know, has has some of the soft skills. He like works his ass off. Very. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's a leader of men, you know. His but also, two. he's good enough to be an MLB player. Right. And, like, there's oh, yeah. there's plenty exactly. of leaders of men who work their asses off who just aren't. And at some point, like, the numbers won't lie. Honestly. I mean, like, the actual, like, lower limit of this is probably, like, Louis Guillaume, who gets yeah. every little bit of talent out of himself because uh-huh. he's such a hard worker and mm-hmm. such... Uh, should I explain this? So good at all of the, the soft things that only come with, you know playing baseball 24 seven your entire life mm-hmm. i think that i think the flip side of that you also have to recognize that a lot of the people who get labeled for having quote-unquote bad makeup like mm-hmm. i'm i'm i almost never person, yeah right i'm very rarely the person to to pull out a race card on anything but it's so con it's so often just a, a a dog whistle for this is this dude isn't a gritty white guy yeah <laughs> Yeah, I almost never ding people for that. No, I assume I, I like um the only person I think I've ever really dung for something like that was Travis Darno. I don't really? know why. Yeah, yeah, I always got the impression that he was just like um the most talented kid in the room. Really? Okay. But like was always like a step away from superstardom just because of you know either not. I don't want to say not working, but like lacking some of the soft skills. Does that make sense? I mean, that might be fair. I mean, I definitely don't remember 
you with the anecdotes about Darno? Like the much easier, the one that always pops to mind first for me is Josh Naylor. Like the dude straight up stabbed yeah. one of his teammates in the minor leagues because <laughs> yeah. it was just a prank, bro. Yeah, like, like you can't really argue that one away. That's that's the kind of shit that's bad. But a lot of the time it's just like, oh, it looks like he's. People say this about Dom Smith, right? Like, and there might be some truth to to him not doing a good job of managing his weight in the minors, but. Um, uh, there are other factors that we've discussed at length about, like, poor minor league conditions and no food, and he might just have a bad metabolism. So, one of the ones there... that always... Sorry, go ahead. No, no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm done. Like, my point one is of the... just... He's not a Met, but the Manny Machado stuff, like, he's kind of a hothead, but, like, I don't think he's, like, a lot of cancer. Like... Yeah, and literally the most talented player money can buy. Like... Exactly. And, like, people were knocking him for, like... When he when him and Harper were free agents at the same time, like Harper does the same things that Machado does, like, but I don't feel like Harper ever got that negative publicity from it, and Machado hmm. does. So like I feel like people like embrace Harper for that stuff, and mm-hmm. they and they push a guy like Machado away for the same things. I'm not so, sure that's fair to to Harper though. Like Machado threw a bat at a dude and like stepped on first baseman's oh, ankles it, multiple times. Umpire? When he, I think he threw a bat at an umpire. Is no, he threw it. At, he tried to throw a bat his uh, his bat at Francisco Abad because like Abad threw at him probably. Oh uh, yeah. Was it Abad? Some <laughs> Oakland A's pitcher. That's like, fair. Machado did Machado did some shitty things and apologized. And I don't think your overall point is wrong, but I, I do think there were some legitimate criticisms of Machado. No, that's fair. He's just like I feel like a very extreme example of it, where people were like, "I don't want to pay him all that money," but I'm like, "He's really good, so you should." Yeah. Like, bringing him into the locker room isn't going to be like an a net negative. Mm-hmm. I've never gotten the complaints about guys who are hotheads, right? Like, do you want someone who doesn't care? Yeah. Like, wouldn't you rather see someone who gets frustrated when they're not playing well or when their team's not winning? I mean, my yeah. favorite with that is Jeff McNeil, who every time he doesn't get a hit, you know, slams his bat down. Yeah, it's just like, good. <laughs> I want you to care. It always makes me laugh because he's just so mad at it. And like, I understand, but it's like, I feel like he doesn't understand that it's a game of failure and he expects to hit 1,000 with. Uh, I mean, if I had that bat control. <laughs> oh, no, for sure. <laughs> See, you, you raise a good point, though, because that's, that's the anecdote that comes up in Moneyball, that Billy Bean didn't know how to fail. And, and who knows if that's actually the reason, like, maybe he just wasn't as good as we thought. But I think the, the concept there is fair, that if you've never failed and you can't handle failure, like, that's oh, yeah. another so, one of these soft skills that probably matters. Yeah, it's like Jeff McNeil gets frustrated, but, you know, he doesn't let it carry over. Right. It's not like he carries it into the field or just starts hacking at everything because he's like, oh, I got to make up. For or like left. destroys a water cooler every time he strikes. Right. Right. <laughs> that we right. know of. <laughs> There's a balance. Yeah, there is. Yeah, in terms of uh, baseball passion and, and teachability and intangible things like that, I had two kind of examples that happened more or less around the same time uh one guy that's the good is pete alonzo that's a good one um yep day one you know i was pretty high on him a lot of people were not as high 
because, you know, when coming out of the draft, the swing was a bit noisy. There were some holes, but he was a super teachable guy. And he worked on his swing. He refined the swing. He he worked on stuff that needed to be done. And now look at him. He is, you know, a superstar. Yeah. I mean, the defense, too. Yeah, defense, too. I mean, I saw some pretty bad. I, I, I don't know. I still don't really know how to describe his defense because he would make a, a bad play and then make like a spectacular play back to back. So, yeah. But on, 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 on the other side now of like that intangible teachability kind of thing, that is an important thing that scouts are going to look at. Look at a guy like Seth Romero, all the talent in the world, you know, a really polished left hander with, you know, a good fastball, good slot, a good changeup, good everything. Picked at 25. He probably could have been picked at like 10, 15, but he was just a dick. He literally got himself kicked off his team for not practicing, for smoking weed, getting to fights, all that kind of stuff. After the Nets drafted him, he, he missed time, same kind of stuff. And that's the point where be, where the off-the-field stuff is obviously negative like Mm -hmm. when it's getting to the point where you're getting kicked off your high school team because you're an asshole and no one wants to hang out with you or no one wants to be with or like whatever you're doing like that's when you start that's when it's quantifiable too because i don't i don't know when when you hear a dude has a bad attitude like we don't know that because we don't see it and we're not there so it's hard for me to quantify it in terms of how it affects a guy in the clubhouse because a guy could be an asshole in the clubhouse and also you could live with it but some people you can't because it's too much right, look at the 86 Mets yeah <laughs> no for real yeah a bunch of psychos I mean I think we've perhaps missed the best example of this and that might be Mike Trout right like for the first four or five years of his career Mike Trout came back in the spring every time it was better at something it's like all right well you're you're like a four and a half to a player, but your arm's not the best. Comes back and has a, a, a top tier arm. You know, well, you can do that, but you still swing and miss a lot up in the zone. Comes back the next year next year as the best uh, high fastball hitter in baseball. It's like, so, so that that's a good example of another guy who, uh, I mean, obviously is uber talented to a degree that is perhaps a once in a lifetime level, but also has worked his ass off to say, I could be, I could be a little better. And get mm-hmm. a little better each time, and never be satisfied until he's, uh, and you just never be satisfied. Period, basically. Please that, get him a team so he can win a World Series, please. <laughs> I can't wait till he's a Met at 38. <laughs> no. Oh, well, that's so sad. He'll still be putting up like four war seasons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> have you ever Have you ever read the? I, I'm assuming that you have the Fangraphs article about Mike Trout basically beating Barry Bonds and accruing the most war in baseball history. Yeah. And they kind of plotted out how he would be able to do that. So, yeah, in in his age 38 season, he'd be with the Mets. Basically, he'd be like a Dave Kingman kind of guy. I'll take it. Sign me up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw a tweet about, like, nine win seasons over the last five years or something, and there's only been ten, and he has six of them. (laughs) <laughs> or say, over the last day, some some, uh, some number like that. It's like this is absurd. Yeah. 
He makes no sense. He only, his lowest worst season was 6.8, and that's only because he missed 100 plate appearances, because he missed 50 games. Lucas, prorate that out to a full season. Uh, I should be able to do that in my head, but I can't. What season was that? That was 2017. Uh, it would be about nine, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would be roughly another nine-win season if he got his usual number of games. And if, if you miss 50 games, you're missing about a third of the season, which means... Yeah. If you're at six, then you would he's be on the pace for nine. He's oh, so close to greatness. This close. <laughs> this close. But yeah, so the greatest players uh, there you can see are, you know, the, the pattern. They're not satisfied. They're always working to get better. You want, and, and uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt Steve, but one last mm-hmm. good example from another sport. And, and this will probably piss a lot of people off in our target demographic, but Tom Brady. Right, like Tom Brady is not a great athlete. We've all seen that hilarious combine video where he can't run at all. <laughs> but the the stories of his manic work ethic and how seriously he takes every part of his practice are like legendary at this point. Right, like so he's always studying, always working to get better to to a degree that's objectively insane. But that's oh, the yeah. soft skill that you're. That's the the soft skill we're talking about. And that's also something like you can't you don't know that until he's in your building. Yeah. Like at Michigan, when he was struggling to like get the starting job, he was probably the same way. But it just wasn't there yet. And when you watch the tape and you look at the numbers, you can't tell. But you also can't assume that a guy is going to be Tom Brady and have that type of work ethic. You have to balance both. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, was a phys- he was physically a better quarterback in his early 30s than his 20s, which is insane yeah yeah for me one of the the big things when we talk about makeup it's like does this person understand what it means to be a professional you know um in a similar way to what you're talking about with brady where like do they understand that having being in the top one percent of talent isn't necessarily enough man that 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 <laughs> really puts things in perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, um, that probably is the most impun- important underlying kind of intangible is like drive or whatever you want to call it, because then that branches out into a bunch of different things that then you can go on improving. Um, we talked about high school baseball before um when it comes to college baseball now i think stats still aren't really the be all end all you're still looking at all those underlying skills and everything like that and when you do look at stats uh it's important to keep in mind that college baseball is almost like a different sport if you think about it you know um Colleges make a lot of money off of baseball. Their main objective is to win. So that means things like UConn grinding players into the ground. So that means like Stanford teaching players to win. Stanford ruining literally every hitter that comes through their program ever. Yeah. Just so they could win at their level and then whatever happens. Just so they can ping bullshit singles to the opposite field constantly with metal bats. Right. And we'll add asterisks to both of those claims because not every player to go to UConn or Stanford is unprepared or anything like that. But, yeah, it's it's kind of helpful to think about 
college sports as different sports. Well, in, in terms of baseball, anyway, I don't really know about other sports, but it's important to, you know, keep in mind college baseball is almost like a different game than regular baseball. We were talking about last week with the metal bat. That makes a huge difference. Smaller fields and the metal bat means you could just mash home runs. You know, yeah. David Thompson, 19 home runs in his junior year, but powers, you know, not really his thing. As we've seen the last couple of years, the balls probably matter a lot too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I don't even know where they get their balls. Who knows what's going on with that? So I do think college stats are meaningful in a lot of ways, uh, but I, I do have some uh, an interesting way to, to sort of illustrate the <laughs> difference um, or how the stats don't uh, entirely matter. So I'm going to read a stat line, uh, two stat lines, one of which is Andrew Vaughn, and then try to guess the other one. Okay. Um, so this is Andrew Vaughn's best season. 402, 531, 819. Is that his slugging or that's his slugging? Right? That's his triple slash, yeah. Fucking 1350 disgusting. OPS. That's fucking disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> that's so Mystery player. 408, 520, 807, 1327 OPS in his best season. All right, you got to give us some hints here, right? Yeah, give us some just, hints. Did this player make the major leagues? No, not yet. Were they a notable prospect at draft time? At draft time, yes. Uh, we'll we'll do a few we'll do a few hints, I guess. Let me let me keep looking at the baseball cube page. He was a top fifteen pick. Okay. Top fifteen. Will Craig? Well, I was gonna say I was oh, thinking like no. Will Craig or something, but he was later in the round. Mm-hmm. College position player. Um, I'm afraid if I give the draft, it's it's going to give it away. Mm. Whatever. 2013 draft. Top 15 pick. 2013 mm. draft. All right, let me think. Who was 2013? That was the year we took Dom, right? <laughs> yep. So who did we... Who did, I was in, uh, what? You said top 15 pick, right? Yep. College uh, position player. This is so there's tough. really, yeah, there's really uh, catcher. We're not going to consider a position player. So there's really one, two, three. Wasn't four, Austin Meadows in that draft? But he was a high. School. He was a high school, yeah. High school. There's um, like five candidates. Chris Bryant was obviously good, and he's made the major, so it's not that. It's not Chris Bryant, yeah. Yeah. Was that the, the, the dude that the Marlins traded to the Astros? The Colin Moran is one of the five, yes, but he's it's not him. He also made the big leagues briefly, I think. That's true. He's, right, he's, he's had a few cups of coffee. It's uh, no, DJ Peterson. He's like, he's like a <laughs> – DJ Peterson, that was 2013? Was a, yeah, who yeah. was a big deal Forgot at about the that time guy. of the draft for being like a, a Kyle Schwarber type, you know, big-time uh-huh. power. And uh, – Really hasn't mashed, but basically had the same season Andrew Vaughn had in his best season at, you know, Berkeley. Uh, although he was at uh, New Mexico, Isn't University of uh, New Mexico. Yeah. So, um, you know, not a, not as good a conference. A lot of the, the sort of noise or uh, a lot of the noise we're talking about, statistical noise, uh, is at play there. That's definitely a big difference. I mean, baseball levels of talent are all over the place, but big difference between Mountain West and Pac-12. Yeah, mm. true. 
the Pac-12 has a lot of blue chip programs in it. I don't think I could name a single other school in the Mountain West. Uh, I mean, you make a good point, though. Like, mm-hmm. and I think it gets back to we're measuring the wrong things, right? If we're if we're we can't we can't judge these statistics because the level of play and the run environments are so all over the place. But if we were actually judging his mental acuity, his visual, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? accuracy of his vision, his the details of his hand-eye coordination, if you could come up with assays for all of this, perhaps you could measure them in some meaningful way. But since we don't have that tech, you'd still need to scout them. This uh, roster for the 2013 University of New Mexico team is pretty wild. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Sam Haggerty was a uh, oh, freshman starting infielder. Okay. Uh, Mitch Garver wow. was the catcher as a senior si- as a senior. The weirdest guy you'd ever never expect to take the Grand Deep twice in one game. Yep, those are really the only two, but <laughs> two big leaguers and DJ Peterson was not one of them. Peterson's playing in Mexico now, apparently. Tigres de Quanti, Quintana Roo of the Mexican League. Mm. Yeah, not playing now. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, so basically, there's a lot of uh, a lot of variance in high school, especially, but like we've been saying, even college ball. And yeah, the the basic baseball numbers are not the things to look at. You want to look at the kind of intangibles, and you want to look at the kind of more scientificy things that can be scouted. I, I have one final point. I think that Mm -hmm. most of these stats, like we've said, are meaningless to the point where even I probably don't look at most of them. The one thing I will almost always look at is just their strikeout-to-walk ratio, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's that's probably the closest to a fundamental measurement we currently have for most of these guys, right? Mm -hmm. I don't really care how many home runs you hit, though it's notable. I don't care what your batting average is. I want to know – I want to try to get an understanding of what your eye at the plate is. And to bring it back to when we were talking about Nimmo before, I probably underrated him for a while while he was, like, first coming onto the scene as a med and when he broke out. Because mm-hmm. I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, he he looks like he could hit, but I don't know if it's going to be sustainable. But when you're looking at the pitches that he looks at and gets into so many hitters counts that he gets into and waits on only swinging at really pitches that you want to swing at, like, it's going to make you a better hitter even though – you don't you, you don't really think of it that way I think like on its surface but he's probably getting he's probably only swinging at pitches that are like hitters pitches to swing at and he's mm-hmm. not swinging at garbage all the time and like McNeil swings at everything but that's just because he has elite hand-eye coordination and he can make contact with all that stuff but not everyone has that so like I think that's something that makes Nimmo a little better than he should like if he just had a regular eye I think he would be like a kind of regular player if that makes sense probably right Nimmo's kind of just an outlier when it comes to oh, the sure. plate discipline. Like, He's um, like the extreme example. Like I, I remember, and I've probably told this story on the pod before, but I, I remember seeing him, um, my cousin got really, really good tickets early in the 2018 season, right after Nimmo came back up. And uh, I remember turning to him and saying, like, I don't know if this kid's going to make enough contact, but he takes a hell of an at-bat. Yeah. And it's kind of exactly what we're talking about, where like he gets every bit of talent out of 
himself because of just an extreme skill that is very time, difficult to quantify. The yeah. only time Nimmo didn't walk at least or at least 14% of the time in at any level where he had significant exposure was his first dip into double A in 2014 and his first dip into triple A in 2016. Every other level, every other iteration. Like, it's insane. It's funny that his first dip in the majors, he was just like, yeah, I'll take all these pitches from major league starters. It's fine. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, there's probably only two or three guys with as good an eye in baseball. And one of them is Joey Votto. Yeah. I don't I even mean, know who the even other Even last is. year, he walked, I think, in, in like a, a down season for him. He walked, I think, like 18% of the time. And it makes him semi-usable when he's slumping. Like, exactly. Like, like, oh, he he was dreadful for most of the year and still had an OP um, an FR, a WRC plus of over I think it was like 114 or something. Yep. Because like, like that'll play. <laughs> with with a what did he have a bulging disc in his neck or yeah, yeah not, could, I always like to say not being able to turn his head. Like he, he couldn't move his head to one side of his body and he's walking 14 percent of the time in the majors. Like <laughs> I have a headache. I don't want to get off my couch. <laughs> <laughs> And that's probably another, like, intangible, like, the ability to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> Go beyond pain. It's Boys. true. Like, yeah, no, it is. And it's for, and obviously in contact sports, it's probably a bigger deal because, like, of a little bump and bruise, you know, could, you know, you're not sitting out from it. But Nemo was usable in a season where he needed, like, neck surgery or whatever it was. In conclusion, we all love Brandon Nemo. <laughs> yep. And if they ever trade him for something stupid, I'll be extremely sad. Like every year they almost do, and then oh, the last second they're, they're like, nah, we're good. Him, they're talking, <laughs> trading him for real Muto, and I was like, please, no, don't do this. <laughs> Before we end with Brandon Nemo, um, Brandon Nemo hit 221 last season. How many players had a higher on-base percentage than him? Oh, probably like 10. Six. Wow. Uh, well, no, 30, but... Oh, okay, well... <laughs> <laughs> he had That's the lowest average pretty... among any of them. Probably by a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. Brandon Nemo's pretty good. <laughs> All right, uh, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you could send us an email at our email address, but do not send us spam <laughs> from complex2queens at gmail.com. You could follow us on Twitter, and I guess you could send us spam there, because a lot of Twitter is spam. That's all Twitter is. Twitter <laughs> is just an endless stream of s- spam. Uh, I am at Steve Sliper. Lucas is at Elvahus343. Ken is at KenLevin91. And Thomas is at SadMetSeason, SZN. Subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. Rate and review it, please. Um, leave a comment. It would be nice, too. And obviously, thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. And until then, love the Mets. Love the Mets. <laughs> <laughs>